This is an AMI podcast. I'm Kelly McDonald. I'm Ramia Amadin, and this is Kelly and Ramia. So all through Danielle's segment, I was thinking which animals scared me the most. I, I remember Cujo really actually mm-hmm. giving me the willies, but I put it down to, well, I'm not really a, a dog person. Uh, on other shows, certain animals, spiders have never really bothered me. But, but, anything where, I remember one plane crash movie, uh, one of the airport Aww. movies, I think it was. Uh, and, and when they first started doing these ones, they were just horribly scary. Then they got silly. Um they had one where it crashes into the Everglades, and there's snakes, gators, and stuff like that. So I remember as a child, that that was it. So sometimes I think that's how come I'm a little funny about alligators. Not so much about snakes. My mom was. How about you? Any mm. of these movies or reading the Stephen King books, they get to you? Yeah, I think it's just anything that feels foreign to me. And that could honestly even be things that are around Ontario that you could run into. But if you just don't know, I think... The rabbit stuff, anything with rabies, does make me freak out a bit, just a bit. I think because about, we go hiking, and then when you oh, think sure. dusk and dawn is a bit different, and you know anything can get rabies now. So coyotes, yeah, exactly. You know, I was safer when I thought the Raccoon coyotes were only a character on Bugs Bunny. <laughs> <laughs> you know, running around out in Arizona Amazing. with the Roadrunner, I didn't worry about it until someone said, "What are you talking? About? We have lots of coyotes here." I think the safest time for us walking around, especially if we've got big boots on, is the winter time. We don't worry as much about the animals then because everybody's sleeping, aren't they? Anyway, let's chat about the world of health and wellness with Francis Wong. Hello, I'm Francis Wong, and I invite you to join me as we explore topics of health and wellness so that you can make the best choices for you to live an informed and radiant life. When the first snow starts falling... Our attention tends to turn to our outerwear and how to stay warm, and particularly winter boots, as not only do they keep our feet nice and toasty warm, but they help us get around what can be some icy and treacherous conditions. Francis, welcome back to the show, and today, a handful of cool tips, shall I say that, with winter boots as we're picking and looking through the how to make that choice of good winter boots for us. Thanks, Kelly. Yeah, since Halloween was just yesterday and we just had this whole talk about Halloween with Danielle, (laughs) we know that it's time to move on to the next thing. And that's the Santa Claus parade, right, Kelly? (laughs) You betcha. Sure. There he is right now. And he's got fantastic boots. Yeah. So I know that stores are going to be putting out winter decorations and of course selling winter boots. Um, The weather might not seem that wintry right now, but we all know that the best time to shop is right at the start of the season when there is the greatest selection of not only the styles, but sizes. And we know that fashion, I mean, time waits for no one. So when it comes to shopping for winter boots, you want a boot that not only keeps you warm, but ideally also keeps you safe from falling on ice. Some people love fashion above all else and may still choose a fashionable winter boot that may not be as functional while other people are all about warmth and traction. And I'm not ashamed to say that's me. Um, Mm -hmm. I'm hands down function over fashion. I'll be the girl out there wearing the ugliest boots and parka if it's going to keep me warm any day over completely being fashionable but freezing to death. But 
hey to each their own right. 100%. 100%. So since you mentioned it, let's talk about former functionality. What kinds of winter boots are actually out there, first of all? Sure, Ramya. When we're choosing a winter boot, one of the most important deciding factors is what you plan to use the boots for. Are you planning to use these in your day-to-day commute to and from the office or just for walks around town? In these cases, you can go with a more casual style boot. However, if you're planning on using the boots for some serious winter hiking and outdoor activities, you might want to consider getting the boots that have a lot more insulation and winter traction for activities such as snowshoeing. In all cases, though, I think it's important to also choose a boot that has good ankle support. If you're on the move a lot, you'll want to consider the weight of the boot, too. Lighter ones will allow you to move more quickly during those physical activities. Heavier, thicker, and warmer boots will be the way to go if you're just walking around town and not moving so much that the boots will keep your feet toasty and warm. And luckily for those who are fashion inclined, the casual boots tend to have a cleaner and sleeker line so that you can also look good whilst trying to stay warm. Yeah. See, I tend to figure if I'm standing at a, you know, a bus stop or anything like that, you want that, that boot to keep you warm. You're not moving as much. But like you say, that heaviness of the boot. Oh, um, what is another factor to consider when choosing that winter boot? The height of the boot is definitely a major consideration. Mm -hmm. Are you someone that tends to run hot? If you're always hot, even if the weather is cool out, then you can go with a shorter height. But if you're someone who runs cold all the time, then having that extra couple of inches to bring the boots to knee height will keep you much warmer. And you'll also want to think about your use case for the boots. Are you spending very little time outdoors, even though it's winter? For example, if you're walking a short distance to the bus or subway and then hopping out into a building, you don't need to have a super warm boot. In fact, insulation is the other thing to consider when buying a winter boot. If your boot is super warm, you may end up sweating a lot. And then sweat has a way of making the insides of your boot cold and damp. Mm-hmm. And then you can end up with really unhappy feet. So yeah. you know what I'm talking about. Well, you know, yeah. and the, the other thing about the height that always bothered me is I tended to look for higher boots in case I ended up, well, where the heck's the walkway here? Where's the opening? Right. Ah, I need to exactly. trudge right through a pile of snow as a blind person, you know, trying to find my way through somewhere. But like you say, it's a, it's a, it's a bit of a drag if it's kind of like having a little more boot than you need for what mm-hmm. I'm doing. Mm-hmm. 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 Yeah. Yeah. Even if you're someone who walks long distances outside, you're going to need to factor in how much of that time is static versus if you're constantly moving. So we were talking about at the bus stop. Um, If you're standing around a lot, your feet are going to be getting cold more quickly. And I know we're talking about function over fashion, but in this case, also consider your overall outfits that you tend to wear and the climate of where you live. If you have short winter, if you have a short winter bomber, then almost all your legs are going to be exposed, which isn't much of a problem if you're on the West Coast where the winters are fairly mild. I mean, you could almost get away with just having rubber rain boots and adding a warm liner liner if you live in Vancouver. For East Coast winters, I choose the longest parkas available to get as much coverage over my thighs that I can. And then I personally like having tall winter boots so that I'm really exposing just a fraction of my legs to that brutal winter wind. So a couple of inches below and above my knees. And of course, if you are in a more remote area where there's a lot of snowfall, then taller boots might be a a smarter idea so that you're not getting snow inside your boots, just like you said, Kelly. 
Exactly. It's like we live in the remote, even if we don't, because we're always getting off the paved and, we, and getting yeah. into the giant We live giant in the world snow of snowbanks, right? Of, of, Pretty of, much. Of plows. <laughs> Pretty hey, much. I missed the, the curb cut like 10 miles ago. <laughs> yeah. Um, since we're talking about a lot of snow and staying warm, what about the point that you mentioned at the start of the convo about ice and not slipping and sliding? Yes. So traction is definitely something to keep in mind for real winter conditions. Did you know that slips and falls are to blame for the majority of hospitalization injuries? This tops even car accidents, according to the Canadian Institute for Health Information. Four out of five seniors are hospitalized due to falls. Of course, this isn't due just to falling on ice, but includes tripping on a rug that isn't flush to the floor or tripping and falling due to an item that shouldn't have been on the ground in the first place and things like that. But it's still significant and we can reduce that by making sure that our boots have a good grip to handle icy conditions. Yeah, because in winter, there's an awful lot of those even inside more tripping hazards, slipping hazards. Yes, yes. Um, and you're in luck if you're not sure where to start. C- CBC Marketplace did an investigation with the research arm of Toronto University Health Network's Rehabilitation Institute called KITE. According to their website, KITE stands for Knowledge, Innovation, Talent Everywhere. And they are a world leader in rehab science and are dedicated to improving the lives of people living with the effects of disability, illness, and aging. They ran a test company um, comparing a few popular brand name boots. We're talking about Merrill, Sorrel, Kamek, Ugg, Timberland, and Wind River. Every year, they rate the boots on various qualities, and one of those qualities is traction. So Mm. would you like to take a guess at how many percentage of winter boots fail the slip test on ice? I'm afraid to say that too many. Uh I'm going to say more than 70%. Yeah, Yeah, you guys are both right. Yeah. yeah, five out of six, which is about 83%. Yeah, because I yeah know. that's pretty high. Because I know from experience. You know, <laughs> if, you what, buy them for traction. Like, why else? Then I'd be just be in my runners. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> oh, I can just, at least you could skate places. But you know what they say, experience <laughs> is the best teacher. <laughs> ow, down, ow. It's like saying five out of six uh, winter tires don't have traction. Like, that's ridiculous to me. Exactly. Unbelievable. <laughs> I feel like they have better standards for tires than they do for yeah, boots. Yeah, I hope so. <laughs> yeah. so. So the way that they tested these boots was by changing the angle of the incline of the floor in the testing chamber from zero to 15 degrees, and they covered this flooring with ice. The CBC reporter would wear the boots and a harness for safety, and that harness was attached to the ceiling. And then slowly the incline of the floor was increased until the boots could not hold onto the ice. And just as a point of reference in Ontario, accessibility ramps and curb ramps should not be exceeding a seven degree slope. Okay. So Kite has this website called Rate My Treads, and there you can look up hundreds of boots and how they score. For the website, which is separate from the CBC study, they have four different participants walking on the flooring, which is set up for both wet and cold and dry ice. So the results are compared per round, and then an overall rating is assigned based on the lowest score achieved for a particular boot. And I think the rating system is kind of cute because they give boots snowflakes instead of stars. So, (laughs) And then you must be able to walk up an elevation of seven degrees minimum, which is like the one we're talking about for the ramp, before Mm -hmm. the boot is awarded a single snowflake. So if you look up your favorite boot and it has zero snowflakes, that means it fails to make it even halfway up the ramp. A degree of seven to 10 is considered medium slip resistant. 
degrees of 11 to 14 would be considered highly slip resistance and would score two snowflakes. And if the boot can handle a degree of 15 or more, then it warrants three snowflakes. So if you don't have the time or interest in checking out their website, the takeaway from this is that you really can't tell by looking at the treads how effective it's going to be against the ice. What you Mm. want to do is find boots with fiber embedded soles for the best traction on ice and slippery surfaces. Yeah, as we were talking about snow tires before that uh, may damage the road, but they hold you to it. Uh, you've talked about so many important things about buying a, a pair of winter boots. Anything other, Any other considerations? Yeah, so I touched briefly on warmth. And while some winter boots will make a claim of being good for up to minus 30 Celsius, this is also going to be dependent on several things. How thick the socks are that you're wearing, how fast your metabolism is, how tight or loose the boots are, how much you're moving around, and even the type of insulation in the boot itself. So take that number with a grain of salt. In terms of insulation, the most common is synthetic, like Thinsulate, and the other is sheepskin or wool. Light to mid um, mid-weight boots generally have 200 to 400 grams of insulation. So there are definitely a lot of things to consider when choosing winter boots, but I think the most important one goes back to the traction and finding boots that have that embedded fiber to grip the ice. After all, you really don't want to um, have a fall. You want to be able to enjoy the rest of the winter. Mm. Yeah, certainly don't need the injury and you don't need to have to get up after falling on your butt in the snow and be all wet and cold from that either. So then you're still yeah. dealing with a whole different problem. Then we'll be or spend a whole back. bunch of money and then realize your boots can't walk up a ramp, you know? like it's, Exactly. It's well, very, I'm more concerned with the coming down, to be honest with you. <laughs> that's what your butt's for. <laughs> that's right, because that's what you'd have to do, slide for sure. Francis, thank you so much. Thanks, Kelly. Excellent stuff, excellent information. Uh, Francis Wong joins us bi-weekly to talk wellness opposite our nutrition segment with Julia Caranchis. We've got a lot more program ahead, and particularly because yesterday we had an interesting announcement here on Kelly and Company. We mentioned some huge changes that were on the horizon to our program. John Melville, Vice President of Content Development and Programming for AMI-TV and AMI-audio, joins us to share with us some of the background and what to expect next. As a matter of fact, we can get some others gathered around too and see what they have to say about it all. Up next here on Kelly and Company. Hi, I'm Red Sale, inviting you to download the latest episode of My Life in Books, where internationally acclaimed authors discuss their lives, their work, and three books that have resonated with them. That's My Life in Books, available wherever you get your AMI podcasts.